Hi there. Welcome to Journey Church, especially if you're a guest, maybe around here for the first time. We're delighted to worship God with you and hope today is very meaningful, challenging for you. About once a quarter, I like to do what I call a family update because I see Journey Church as a family. And you know how sometimes in your family around the house you have like a family meeting. And so this is kind of going to be one of those, uh, some things going on in the life of Journey Church. Try to do that once a quarter. And we're just approaching the end of our third quarter. So just thought you'd like to know that since Easter, Journey Church has been hanging right around the 1,000 mark in weekend attendance around this place. We think that's pretty fun. Sure, it's created some certain challenges, right, like parking and especially on Sunday morning, getting a seat in here, kids ministry volunteers and such. But we think those are really good challenges to have. But because of those challenges, and because of not wanting to stifle what God continues to do around this place, especially on the weekends, starting the first weekend after Labor Day in the month of September, we're going to add a third weekend worship service, okay? So we're going to go to a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. worship service on Sunday morning. Saturday is going to stay parked at 6 o'clock. Uh, Sunday changes, only Sunday changes, 9 and 11. And just so you know, this will happen before the fall, real likely, but we're constructing another 100 or so parking spaces back here in the corner of the property to open up some prime parking places a little closer into the building. We we regret uh, seriously that there's families who are having to park blocks away and like hitchhike in and those sorts of things. And so uh, as soon as those are open back there, uh, we'll let you know that and that'll amp that up a bit. Now, adding a third service means that some things on an infrastructure basis need to amp up around here. We estimate that it's going to take about 50 to 60 volunteers, more volunteers, in addition to the volunteers who are serving around here now, 50 to 60 more to staff and run that third service. So you've got all summer to be considering and thinking on your involvement there in the fall, and we'll be just talking to you and making invitations to you as that day more rapidly approaches. This doesn't happen next weekend, just so you know. The first weekend after Labor Day, all right, in September. Lots of advance warning. On the financial front, giving to our ministry and operations budget through our offerings, right? We don't have any oil wells out back that are grinding out, you know, income. Like the income of Journey Church comes through those blue offering bags that pass by you every weekend. And to this point in our fiscal year, we're about $150,000 behind anticipated giving as we come up to the end of that third quarter. I want you to know that Oakland and our staff are doing a stellar job of managing to our income But I'm just going to invite you, ask you, inquire of you that you might think about how you could tangibly, through your giving to Journey Church, help us finish the year real strong. We've got from now until the end of August to sort of get that turned around. I think we can get a long way down the road toward that. We've got some serious ministry and staffing challenges ahead of us for the fall, and we feel like we need to step boldly and strongly into those, and we want to do that with this year finishing up real, real well. So thanks for thinking on your role in all of that. How many of you have been wondering what in the world is happening with our land that we've been working on? Yeah, good job. Okay, well, here it is. Uh, lots of you know that we have about 40 acres. Well, it is not about 40 acres. It's 40 acres under contract, about three minutes west of here. We've been working to get that closed up and bought. That process is going very well. Could not be going better, as a matter of fact. But we're just not done with the due diligence, the homework that it's going to take to get that sealed up and bought and Ours. We're close. Uh, let's call 
call it like the 10-yard line. We are at the 10-yard line on that deal, but we're not across the goal line yet. There's some survey work that still needs to happen out there, but we're really, really close. So good job caring about that. Good job praying about that. Just keep that up. Great job to all of you who have been so faithfully giving to the light initiative that is the funding stream to make that possible. And as soon as we own it, uh, you will be the first to know. Okay? Deal? As soon as it's done. Now... I told you last year that we were going to do a major outreach event on the 4th of July, and we're not going to now. And here's why. We desire to partner with some community organizations around that event, and we just feel like it's going to go way better in our partnership with those community organizations if we push the pause button this year, do some more work on the relational side of that. We'd just rather wait and roll it out really, really well rather than roll out kind of a Bush League event that kind of feels like to some other organizations in town that we're just stomping on their thing. We'd rather lock arms with them, and so we'll likely roll it out next year and... Um, You'll hear more about that. You all right with that? Great. Okay. Uh, Camp. Camp. Right? Lots of you know that we have 160 acres in the Bridgers that we call the Headwaters. We're starting to develop it into a world-class conference and retreat center in partnership with uh, Harvest Church over in Billings. And we're planning on having two camps up there this summer, a middle and high school camp and a kids camp. However, because of the incredibly late winter, anybody notice that? The incredibly late winter that we've had, uh, it's greatly impacted our ability to get on the land. We needed to be out there like six weeks ago turning dirt and building roads and putting in a well and septic system and all that stuff, but the late winter has just set us so far behind, mixed with the fact that we're learning that we need to do some relational homework with what we're calling the neighborhood over there, okay? Now, it isn't like a city street with a bunch of houses on it, but it is still a neighborhood, and we're determining that we need to cover some relational ground with the neighborhood before we feel comfortable with sinking hundreds of thousands of dollars into that. We would have spent about $300,000 up there this summer to make happen what we were going to make happen, and we just are saying, ah, based on what's happening in the neighborhood, we need to do a better job with covering those bases. Therefore, we've decided to cancel camp for kind of those twin reasons. All right. Uh, Now, please do not be alarmed by any of that. We're sure not. If you've ever pioneered anything before, you know that sometimes the script gets changed and sometimes the script gets modified. Well, sometimes the script just gets crumpled up and thrown right out the window, right? Into a trash can, of course, because we don't litter, right? Uh, Just because of the fluid and changing nature of the landscape that is often a startup, okay? So uh, don't be alarmed by that. I want you to know that Charlie Hall is still coming. He was going to be our lead worshiper for that week. He is still coming. We're going to use him in some other venues during what would have been that week of camp. And so just invite you to stay tuned for more on that. All right, are you all up to speed? Can you go repeat everything I just said there? Like if anybody asks you, like, what's the family update? You could... That. We'll blast that out in an email this week, too, so you can have it on your screen, and it'll all be right there. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up to the book of Jeremiah, if you would, please. This is the next to last week. We'll finish this message run next weekend of this message run that we call Authentic. And today we're going to camp out on the prophet Jeremiah. 
I was resourced by some stuff written by Kevin and Sherry Harney and a guy named John Ortberg as I prepared, studied for this message. The whole series is a matter of fact. And here's the big idea from the life of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah shows us that sometimes God invites his children, that's us, to difficult assignments. Ever notice that? Ever notice that? And when he does, the invitation to follow him is to follow him and stick with it through the pain and even through the tears. And point number one on your notes page, if you're tracking with us there, is Jeremiah's ministry starts very, very strong, right out of the gates, just incredibly strong. Jeremiah's, or God's call to the prophet Jeremiah is loud and very clear. And when we look in on God's call to the prophet Jeremiah, we get to see God inviting what really is a quite young man into his service. And if you've read the book of Jeremiah before, if you know anything about the prophet Jeremiah, you might be tempted to go like, dude, Jeremiah must have missed something. He must have like gotten his lines crossed. He must have missed his call, the assignment that God made on his life, because the story of Jeremiah's life just goes so badly. I don't know how else to say it. It just goes so badly. And while it'd be real tempting to think that based on the outcome of the life of Jeremiah, it just isn't the case. It just is not the case. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, you can look there in your text or follow along on the side screen, God affirms his call. God affirms his assignment to Jeremiah. Here's what the text says. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's call, see, came from the first moment of his conception. And just like a whole bunch of us, Jeremiah feels like he's not up to the task that God has given him. Now, I think sometimes we can have an unhealthy view of our frailness, an unhealthy view of our failings. We can sort of beat ourselves up with that sometimes. But it seems that the prophet Jeremiah has a healthy understanding of who he is, what his weaknesses are. He wonders aloud, am I up to God's invitation? Am I up to God's assignment on my life? Look at Jeremiah 1.6. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. He plays the old, I'm too young excuse, right? I'm too young. No way. But God reassures Jeremiah by letting him know that it's not about his abilities, it's not about his strengths, those are not the primary issue. If he'll simply follow God's leading, if he'll simply speak the words God has called him to proclaim, he'll be right on. Look at what God says to Jeremiah in 1, 7 and 8. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. Shuts that excuse right down, doesn't he? For you must go wherever I send you, you must say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you. Get that in your head. I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then God gives Jeremiah some hint, an inkling of what lies ahead for him in his assignment and in his calling. And you do not get the idea here that Jeremiah is heading out on a smooth and pleasant and easy journey. Look at what God tells him in 117 to 19. Skip down to there. Get up and prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today I have made you strong, like a fortified city that cannot be captured, like an iron pillar or a bronze wall. You will stand against the whole land. Doesn't that sound like fun? 
You will stand against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, and people of Judah. They will fight you, but they will fail. For I am with you, and I will take care of you. There it is again. I, the Lord, have spoken. And it's with that final promise, for I am with you, for I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken, that Jeremiah bolts out of the starting gate. It's like the starter's pistol has gone off. And Jeremiah starts like so many of us start with passion and with intensity. He's young, he's full of energy, he's full of optimism. Optimism. He loves having this mission from God, such a strong, clear purpose for his life. And every indication from the text is that Jeremiah left the starting gates running full speed ahead. And we can almost hear Jeremiah saying to himself, I'm going to speak the words of God to whoever God tells me to speak them to, no matter how much it costs me, I will fulfill my calling. See, Jeremiah, he was so deeply committed to God's call upon his life that he was willing to run the race with all the strength that he had in him. And you know what? There's a whole bunch of us in this room. We can point back to a time in our spiritual journey where we felt just like the prophet Jeremiah did at the start of his ministry. A whole bunch of us in this room can easily recall the time when God got a hold of our hearts and God gave us a mission, a calling, an assignment. Maybe for you, it was during a camp experience when you were a very young person. Maybe in that moment, in that setting, you felt God tugging on your heart and you responded by saying, wherever you lead me, God, I will follow. Maybe for you it happened in a church service, maybe a lot like this one even, where the Holy Spirit spoke powerfully to you and you said, take my life, God. Take all of it. It's all yours, all of me. Maybe for you, the nudge of God on your life happened in just a quiet moment. Just you and the Lord, maybe a verse of scripture that God used to grip you in a way that you will not ever forget. And you were moved to say, from this day forward, God, I will serve you. I invite you to use my gifts to expand the work of your kingdom. I am all about what you want me to be about, God. And see, for lots of us, at some point in our journey of faith, we had a crystal clear sense of the the God of the universe inviting us, little old us, to participate with him in his grand and redemptive story. We realized in that moment that God was orchestrating our involvement in his unfolding plan to redeem this fallen world. And just like Jeremiah, we were overwhelmed that God would invite us. And we willingly said, yes, yes, Lord. Like Jeremiah, so many of us charged out of the starting gates with immense conviction, with a deep-seated passion to run the race that God had invited us to run. We set out to run our hardest, and our fastest. We said, I'll run like this for the rest of my life here on earth. And then I'll continue to run that race in heaven, all for God's glory. And then Jeremiah, he faces reality, doesn't he? And it is a very tough reality that Jeremiah has to face. Flip over in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 19. If you've got a text, you can flip there. If not, you can follow along on the side screens. From Jeremiah chapter 2 through Jeremiah chapter 19, Jeremiah is speaking the words of God to the people of God in Israel. Jeremiah is being faithful. He's doing the difficult work of being a prophet. And the summary of everything that happens between Jeremiah 2 through Jeremiah 19 is this. 
it does not go very well. Not very well at all. People are not at all responsive to Jeremiah's messages. They're very resistant. Jeremiah's words are landing on deaf ears and falling on hard hearts. So in Jeremiah chapter 19, God calls on Jeremiah to turn up the temperature a bit on God's people. He gives him an illustration, a picture, to help the people of Israel get the point of everything that he's been saying. Look at Jeremiah 19.1. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a clay jar. Then ask some of the leaders of the people and of the priests to follow you. And so Jeremiah goes and he goes out to the pottery barn and he buys this jar at God's direction. He then stands up in front of all of the leaders and he says, I'm telling you one last time, people of Israel, humble yourselves before God. Stop worshiping foreign gods. Reduce your pride. Open your hearts to God's leading. Do that. Go God's way, would you? And if you don't, Jeremiah says, watch this. And then skip down to verses 10 and 11. As these men watch you, Jeremiah, smash the jar you bought. Then say to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. As this jar lies shattered, so I will shatter the people of Judah and Jerusalem beyond all hope of repair. There's a pretty picture, isn't it? They will bury the bodies here in Topeth, the garbage dump, until there is no more room them. And as you can well imagine, that little illustration, that little object lesson does not endear Jeremiah to his listeners. Look over at Jeremiah 20 verses 1 and 2. Now Pasher, son of Immer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard what Jeremiah was prophesying. So he arrested Jeremiah the prophet, had him whipped and put in stocks at the Benjamin gate of the Lord's temple. You talk about a bad day. It's one thing when the ministry that God has called you to, the assignment that he has given you, doesn't go very well. Some of you know what this is like. People are unresponsive. There aren't any breakthroughs. Miraculous answers to prayers, praying are non-existent. It's almost like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. But it's a whole other deal when you take a physical beating, when you take a shellacking and face very public shame and humiliation just for doing what God has assigned you, just for doing what God has called you to do. That's all you were doing. Jeremiah never thought that would happen to him. Remember the promise that he received from God back at the starting gate? I will be with you. I will protect you. I will rescue you. I promise you, in these moments, Jeremiah is a long way from sensing the presence and the protection and the rescuing of God as he's being whipped and put in stocks. He's beaten mercilessly. And after any good beating, you really feel like you need to check into a clinic, maybe to a hospital. At least you want to get to a clean bed, have somebody tend to your wounds, right? Jeremiah doesn't even get to do that. After he's beaten, he's spread out and he's put in stocks, one of the main gates leading into the temple, so that people can mock and humiliate him. And he's left out like that all night long. Just think about that. Just think about the disillusionment that would bring to you. And then imagine what it would have done to Jeremiah's heart and his mind. Flip over to Jeremiah 37, if you've got a text. Between chapters 20 and 37 of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah goes out, he continues to speak God's word, even after the beating he received, even after the humiliation of being put in the stocks all night, and the results are just about the same as the last results update I gave you. Again, it does not go well for the prophet Jeremiah. 
The people continued to resist him. They refused to respond to his urges to humble themselves before God. This time, look at Jeremiah 37, verse 15. They were furious with Jeremiah, had him flogged this time, and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan the secretary. Jonathan's house had been converted into a prison. I guess people were doing that every day. Yeah, it's a house, but let's make it into a prison, huh? Jeremiah was put into a dungeon cell where he remained for many days. The ministry that God had called the prophet Jeremiah to, the assignment that God had given him, goes from difficult to extremely difficult on a very steep up and to the right trend line. It is hard and it's only getting harder. And Jeremiah, for the life of him, cannot figure out why this is turning out this way. This is not what he signed up for. This is not how he thought it was going to go. And somehow though, he manages to reach down into the depths of his soul. He's later released from that dungeon cell, transferred to a normal prison cell. And God just says, would you please keep speaking my words? Just keep speaking my words. And remarkably, Jeremiah, he does it. He just does it. He continues to speak the words of God to the people of God, even after two beatings, after being put in stocks, after being thrown into a dungeon. And then flip over to Jeremiah 38, 6. Now look at what happens to him. So the officials took Jeremiah from his cell, lowered him by ropes into an empty cistern in the prison yard. It belonged to Malkijah, a member of the royal family. There was no water in the cistern, but there was a thick layer of mud at the bottom, and Jeremiah sank down into it. Now in ancient Israel, water was incredibly vital. You could even go so far as to say that water was life, for without it, there was no life. Israel is desert land with very little water available, and if a home or a town or a village ran out of water, it was a big deal. And so to avert that kind of crisis, people built these things called cisterns. Now, a cistern, as you all know, is different from a well, right? Wells, is a, wells are a source of underground water, but a cistern is a man-made underground storage tank for the capture and holding of water for later usage. And when a cistern was abandoned, they were smelly, awful places. They were teeming with insects and leeches, sometimes even dead animals that had fallen into it when there was water in it and then the water is all gone and now there's just animal carcasses in the bottom of it. And we don't know the precise condition of the cistern that Jeremiah was lowered into except the layer of mud on the bottom. But we do know that he was lowered into it. Just imagine that he's sinking into the mud and we're pretty sure that their plan was to leave him there until he starved to death. Yeah, just let him wallow around in the mud. Kind of like those sticky mouse traps that we all love. You know, that's what Jeremiah kind of would have been like at the bottom of that cistern. Now later on, Jeremiah's friends, they managed to find out that he's in the cistern. They managed to bargain for his release. They managed to pull him up out of that muddy cistern using ropes. They clean him up and they say, Jeremiah, you are free to go. Now take a wild guess about where Jeremiah goes and what he does after he's been set free from his death by mud at the bottom of a filthy muddy cistern. Any guesses? Yeah, absolutely. He goes out again and declares the words of God to the people of God who have resisted and who have rejected him time and time again. And how do you think that went? Yet again, the people, you're right, the people refuse to respond to his words. And eventually, just as Jeremiah said it would happen, the Babylonian army swept into Judah 
and conquered Jerusalem. Destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They tore down the walls. They wrecked the city. They even destroyed the temple of God. And the Babylonian army, they captured the people of Judah. They dragged them off into captivity, including the prophet Jeremiah. They took him with them. And very shortly after all that went down, Jeremiah realized that everything that he had spent the last 40 years of life trying to avert has happened anyway. Every single thing he was trying to shut off and keep from happening, it happened. It went down. His whole life's effort, the humiliations, the beatings, the intimidation, the prison time, the cistern ordeal, all of it. And he's going, that was pointless. It was utterly pointless. And Jeremiah, in that moment, one of the lowest ebbs of his whole life, he sat down and he wrote one of the saddest books in all of the Bible, a book called The Lament. We know it as the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. And from what we can discern from the Bible, Jeremiah goes on to die in near total oblivion. Nobody knew, nobody cared, he just dies. And Jeremiah, he's been called the weeping prophet for good reason. It was a weeping prophet. I promise you, nobody's ever going to make a movie about the life of Jeremiah because from our perspective, his life was nothing but a bust. And yet those of us in this room who have received difficult assignments, and there's lots of us in this room who carry very difficult assignments from God, we desperately need to pull up a chair at the feet of the prophet Jeremiah. Because from the vantage point of the casual observer, sure, his life and his ministry look like a bust. He preached his heart out for four decades and nobody ever responded. He warned and he pleaded and he prayed. He even smashed jars. Yet no one ever repented. And Jeremiah's life and his ministry never ever went the way that he envisioned it. The way it started, strong out of the gates. Yet Jeremiah, he wept. And he kept looking to God and he pressed on. And we can learn from that. We can learn a lot from that. We can learn a lot from Jeremiah's enduring spirit. We can learn a lot about hanging in there and sticking it out. And it doesn't matter whether you're a full-time Christian worker, whether you're a pastor or the like. It doesn't matter if you're employed in the marketplace and you're a committed volunteer in some ministry around Journey Church or wherever your church is. We all, every single one of us, carry an assignment from God. God has given us all, every one of us, an assignment. And once we figure out where it is that God wants us to invest this one and only life that we're living, we all usually start out just like Jeremiah did. We're pretty fired up about what it is that God has called us to. We're full of enthusiasm, full of idealism, full of boundless energy about our assignment. We stake everything on our belief that this ministry that we're embarking on is going to be the adventure of a lifetime. But then it usually goes something like this, not even very far down the tracks. Some of us begin to understand that God, for whatever set of reasons, gave us a difficult assignment, an assignment that is not going to be easy and you know not at all very long into the race that it's going to be hard you know how it's going to go for you 
And there are some of us, there are a lot of us even, who have spiritual gifts and who get assignments from God which are demanding, which are repetitive, low visibility, emotionally exhausting. And sometimes those assignments involve long hours, very little in the form of exciting outcomes. Lots of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us carry assignments that offer very, offers very little in the form of visible fruit from our labors. And very often, lots of us find ourselves at some point in our race saying, does it even matter what I do? Does my contribution even really matter? Will anyone notice, will anyone care if I just stopped doing what I'm doing? Some of us say to ourselves, this is going to be a challenge to stay faithful for a whole lifetime. And Jeremiah knows. Jeremiah gets it. Exactly what you're experiencing if God has given you a difficult assignment. Turn over to Jeremiah 20, if you would. I want to show you one of the lowest ebbs in Jeremiah's life. This is after he took that first savage beating, then he was put in stocks and humiliated by people at the gates of the temple. That deal was Jeremiah's wake-up call that God had indeed given him a difficult assignment for reasons we might never understand. And in Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah is disillusioned, he's frustrated, he's angry, and he does not have any idea what to do with all that disillusionment. Like all of us, he was probably tempted just to stuff it down inside and ignore it. He may have been tempted just to paint on a happy face and pretend it doesn't bother him, maybe even quit, which is what an awful lot of people do in the midst of a difficult assignment from God, right? They, they just quit. I'm going to quit the ministry that I'm involved in because all of a sudden it got real hard. I'm going to quit the small group I'm involved in because all of a sudden it got hard. I'm going to quit the marriage that I'm in because all of a sudden it got hard. I'm going to quit that relationship I'm in because all of a sudden it just got hard. And it's in the midst of all of that that we see Jeremiah do something that we hardly see anybody have the courage to do. He just spills his guts out to God. He just spills his guts. And in the midst of his pain, Jeremiah prays one of the messiest prayers ever recorded in the text. Let's just look at a few pieces of it. First of all, Jeremiah accuses God of tricking him. Ooh. Yeah. Jeremiah accuses God of tricking him. Look at 20 verse 7. Look at what he says to God. Oh, Lord, you misled me. Strong accusation. And I allowed myself to be misled. And the root word here that Jeremiah is saying is that he felt seduced under false pretenses. He says to God, you pulled a bait and switch on me. You indicated to me that this assignment was going to be exciting. You were going to accompany me on this grand adventure. You were going to protect me. You were going to rescue me. But that is not the way it's going. You see, Jeremiah, he is not in a good place and he is pouring his guts out. Next he goes on to tell God that his life and his assignment, they don't even make sense. Jeremiah tells God that his life and his assignment, they don't even make sense. Look at verses 7 and 8. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the words burst out. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. Jeremiah is saying, look, God, I've had it up to here with doing your work, with bearing this assignment and not getting any results. And the result I do get is nothing but negative. I'm fodder for late night talk show monologues. That's my life, he says. And he's got more to say to God. 
Jeremiah actually curses the very day he was born. Look at verses, chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. Yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. I hate my birthday, says Jeremiah. And even more than just hating his birthday, he says, I hate the guy who burst out of the room with a cigar saying, it's a boy, I don't like him either. This is a very sloppy prayer. This is the kind of prayer that very few people ever have the courage to pray. But Jeremiah, he was so upset, he was so confused about how his calling was going that he just had to get it out there before God. And get this, God is not afraid of our honesty. He is a big God. And he can handle anything that we care to dump out before him. He can handle our authentic prayers prayed from the depths of our most difficult pain. He even actually welcomes those prayers from us. And after Jeremiah prays that prayer, he hangs in there with his difficult assignment. Yeah, he's bruised and he's battered and he's discouraged, but he keeps his eyes on God. He expresses his sorrow and his confusion and his pain, but he keeps pressing right on with the assignment that God has given to him. He's knocked down, but he gets right back up. And you and I, Jeremiah didn't have anything that isn't available to us. We can do precisely what Jeremiah did. We can stand strong even when it hurts. I promise, if you were to talk with a dozen Christ followers who have stood firm in their assignment from God during a difficult time, through the tears, through the suffering, through the hardship, you would find a common theme. Every single one of those dozen Christ followers who stood firm would tell you that they are so glad they hung in there. They are so glad they hung in there. They would tell you how thankful they were that they did not throw in the towel and quit, as tempting as it might have been. Just like in the same way if you ask those who have faced a difficult time in their faith, in their assignment, and have quit and have caved in under the pressure, they would tell you how much they regret that decision to this day. I guarantee it. But Jeremiah, he teaches us another fabulous lesson as we look at his life. In that same messy prayer in Jeremiah 20, he expresses his pain and his frustration, his despair, certainly, but right in the middle of just such a messy prayer, we're really surprised to find these words. Look at Jeremiah 20, 13. Look at what he says. Sing to the Lord. Whoa. Where's that come from? Praise the Lord, for though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. Where does that come from? Jeremiah is experiencing the worst time of his whole life. He's pouring his heart out in this very messy prayer. Yet then all of a sudden he shifts and he starts praising God. What's up with that? What seems in that moment that Jeremiah is able to get a little perspective on the whole deal. And what he begins to draw on in that verse, verse 13, when he utters those beautiful words of praise to God, he's drawing on the promise that God gave him all the way back when he first called him to this difficult assignment. Remember what he promised him? Two things, that he would be with him and that he would rescue him. 
It's like Jeremiah all of a sudden is starting to understand, he's starting to get that God has indeed been with him. He's still sucking air after all, right? He could have ended up dead. He didn't get killed. I guess I have been rescued, Jeremiah's thinking. It seems like maybe God did step in and rescue me. There must be something worthy of praise in all of that. If you're chosen for a difficult assignment from God, you are not the first to face that. You are not the first. A whole bunch of Jeremiah's have gone out ahead of us. Jesus, after all, is the ultimate example of someone who took a very difficult assignment given by God. It was very painful, but he did it. He finished it. And if you find yourself walking the very same path that Jeremiah walked all those thousands of years ago, can I invite you just to stand strong? Will you just stand strong? Will you pray messy prayers to God? Will you pour out your grieving heart to God? Will you not quit, please? Will you not bail out on God, please? Would you please instead stay the course and know that one day you are going to meet the one who had the most difficult assignment of all and he chose to finish it for your sake and for my sake. And here's the question that we're all wondering in the midst of our difficult assignment. Here's what it all boils down to. Is God really trustworthy? That's what we're all wondering. Is God really trustworthy? Is he really going to do what he said he was going to do? Jeremiah, he didn't feel like God was trustworthy. When he told God that it felt like he had been tricked, that's a trust issue, isn't it? And see, in the midst of our difficult assignments from God, sometimes it feels like we've been bait and switched. It feels like we've been tricked. Sometimes in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our difficult assignments, we get battle fatigue. We lose perspective on everything that God's already done in our past. It's like it's just gone from our memory banks. And God knew that would be an issue for us. So much so that over in the book of Joshua, you could flip there if you wanted to, God institutes a practice for his people to help alleviate just such a collective forgetfulness. Look at Joshua 4, verses 1 through 7. You know this story. When all the people had crossed the Jordan River, this is when the people of Israel are crossing into the promised land. They're about to take the land. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that at the Jordan River, the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever for what God has done. See, it was so important to God that the people of Israel never forget that he is trustworthy, that he is 
with them. And for that reason, God asked the Israelites to build these, this 12-stone memorial, two of them actually, one on the bank, one out in the middle of the river even, so that they would always remember what God had done that day. And he did that because, see, he knew that sometimes his people would be bearing up under difficult assignments. And God knew that in the midst of those difficult assignments, any time they wondered if God was really with them, if God had really given them this difficult assignment that they were slogging through, that they could walk right out there to the bank of the Jordan River and they could look on that, they're called a Karen. They could look on that rock pile and they could be reminded that God is indeed faithful. He was faithful before and that his nature and his character, well, it's unchanging and that he just wasn't going to leave them. That's why God instituted this rock pile deal so that people would never forget what he had done. They could visit them as a memorial, as a marker to his greatness. Now see, God has reasons for giving certain people difficult assignments. If you're carrying a difficult assignment, God did not hand that out to you capriciously. He doesn't just hand out difficult assignments in cavalier fashion. Rather, God looks on those who have strong shoulders, a steadfast heart, and he calls them wherever he needs them. God determines who has the needed strength, and then he entrusts them with that difficult assignment. And when he does that, he still says, just like he said to the prophet Jeremiah, I will be with you. I will help you. And around here, we don't want you to forget everything that God has done in your rearview mirror because he has done a lot, hasn't he? We don't want you to forget God's promises and God's faithfulness to you time and time and time again. And so because of that, we have a little homework assignment that we're going to give you today. And we assumed, we just assumed, you know, you can be mad at us if you want to, that you did not want to go around lugging giant boulders like 12 of them and piling them up in your living room, okay, as a reminder to God's work. So we're miniaturizing that whole deal, okay? That same concept that we see God institute with the Israelites on the bank of the Jordan River, you're going to have a chance to do yourself. In just a few minutes, we're going to close this service by worshiping God through music. And while that's happening, we're going to invite you to come down here and pick one rock out of these piles, and that's going to be your what God has done in my past rock. This week, at the bottom of your notes page, there's a little homework assignment. You can see there, it's a little tongue-in-cheek if you haven't noticed. And this week, I'm going to invite you to take that rock of yours and follow those directions on a real serious note on the bottom of that page. You're going to record with a sharpie on that rock all of the things that God has done in your past to prove to you, that prove to you that he is with you, that he has not left you, that he is helping you. Now, your life might be going pretty darn good right now. This might not be all that important to you right now. But those things you write on that rock and that rock, they're probably not for right now. They're probably for the difficult times when the assignment from God that you're carrying, and we all carry one, the assignment from God that you're carrying suddenly gets difficult and you wonder, is God still with me? Is God still helping me? It's in those times, at a low ebb, that we're going to invite you to pull that rock out, put it somewhere, keep it there, 
We're going to invite you to pull out that rock and look back on everything that you've written on there, what God has done in the past. And remember, he's been faithful before. He isn't just dumping you out on your head, that he is with you, that he is helping you, that he does hear you, that he does care for you. Because God's past performance is an indicator of his future performance, isn't it? Because God is unchanging. I invite you to do that. Take that real seriously. Take some time this week and do that homework. And in just a few minutes, you can come down front and scoop up your own what God's done, Rock. Set your things aside, if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. Just speak to God about what it is that you're thinking about. Tell God what's on your heart. You can do that now. ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would for the next few moments maybe you're here today and you realize that you don't have your own personal relationship with God maybe while you've been sitting in this room today you've come to understand how incredibly much God loves you how incredibly much God cares for you so much so that he made a way for you to have a relationship with him and it cost him his son's life it cost God Jesus life to make that way available for you God sent his one and only son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to be your savior to be the rescuer of your soul and you By putting your faith and your trust in Him, you can begin a friendship with God right now, right where you're sitting. And if that's you, if you're choosing to do that today, I'd invite you to express that to God by praying right along with me. You can pray right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. But today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin, God, has separated me from you. God, with everything in me, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend I want you to change me, please, God. I need you to clean my life up. And God, starting today, I make you the boss of my life. And that decision to pray that prayer, to yield your life to God, to invite Jesus to be your savior, the rescue of your soul, there's not a bigger decision you'll make your entire life. Nothing matters more and nothing carries more weight than that does. It's such a big deal that around here we actually ask people to tell us when they made that decision and I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. I want you to know that nobody's looking around and nobody's going to embarrass you in any way. But if you prayed with me just then to give your life to God, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? You can do that right now. Just make sure I catch your eye if you would. Yeah, you back there. Way to go. God's changing you right now and making you brand new. And you too over there, sir. Way to go. 
Right now, God is changing you, and he is making you new. Way to go. Your life is different from that moment forward. Never the same. And you too right there. Way to go. Right now, God is changing you. He's making you new. Setting you on a whole new course of living. Don't ever look back. Don't ever look back. Right now, God's changing you. You're a child of God's. Way to go. God, we say thank you for the sacrifice of your son and for all the things that you've done in our past. For everything that you've done that just shows you are faithful. You are trustworthy. You did not trick us. The difficult assignments that we carry, they actually are from you. You've invited us to them for a special reason, for a purpose. God, I pray that you help every person in this community bear up under that difficult assignment to stick in, to stand firm, to hold fast, God that we wouldn't throw in the towel, that we would look to you, we would cling to you, and that we would remember, help us remember, God, on the dark days, everything that you've done, and there's lots of dark days, but help us see it clearly. You're our God, and you are beautiful, and you are holy, and you are trustworthy. You are the rock we cling to. Thanks, God. We sure love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. And the church said, amen. Invite you as we worship to come up and grab one of those rocks. And don't forget to do your homework.